everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining and Merry Christmas. I am in the podcast studio with today's Devo writer and Join the Journey legend, dare I say it, Mr. Hugh Stevenson. Well, Emma, you did dare to say it, so I will dare <laughs> I will dare to say this. Shout out to Emma and the whole Join the Journey and Equipping team for the unbelievable, amazing, and fabulous blessing of this podcast. I listen to it every day. It's great to listen to the guests. It's great to listen to you when you go through your own explanation and exposition. It's an incredible blessing. Well, thank you, Hugh. I know that you have—I say Join the Journey legend because— I know that you have been tracking with Join the Journey for a while. You're you faithful. You are faithful to comment online. And just before we got started recording, you were sharing with me and Sagan, who's in here taking the edit notes, uh, just how you you walked into Watermark one day, and the Lord captured your heart, and that was the catalyst that set you on this journey. Would you mind sharing that story with with the listeners? Yes, I'm happy to. Just to give you. A- 30 seconds of background. Uh, Amy and I grew up in traditional churches, and uh, we were what they call— Amy's your wife. Amy's wife, sorry. The Proverbs <laughs> 31 wife, Amy. Yes, she is. Um, we grew up in traditional churches, and we were CEOs. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Christmas and Easter only. So, oh, uh, yeah, CEOs, got it. And so um, we just sort of lived life as we wanted to live it, you know, mm-hmm. do tried to do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. Uh, and that— um, uh, that got us both into a great deal of trouble. Uh, we sought life apart from God and had every type of unhealthy coping mechanism you can think of, mm. uh, including um, adult lifetime of alcoholism and uh, porn addiction for me. And finally, we hit the wall in 2012 and found our way to Watermark, which is a whole other story. Uh, Regen and Prodigal in 2013 and 14. In the fall of 2014, December 2014, we were walking into church. And I had uh, I had been um, reading the Bible and the occasional comment on the journey in, in 2014, and I really was feeling sort of good about where I was and was mm-hmm. wondering what God had for me next. We walked into the church that morning. I looked up, and I saw this giant banner across the church that said, Join the Journey 2015, the entire Bible. Oh, wow. And I just sort of gulped, and I said, oh, this is not— going to work. <laughs> That's a lot of reading. This. this is the time for this. This thing is huge. I, mm-hmm. I took a full-year Bible class in college, and it was very, very difficult. And then it's like the Holy Spirit in the back of my head said, this is what I have for you next. You want to be on mission? Here's where it starts. So I said, okay, here we go. So uh, January 1st, uh, I started, I, what I committed to doing is to reading the passage reading the devotional, and processing it in a way that was, um, you know, reasonable, cogent, relevant to me, mm-hmm. uh, and having the external structure of writing that comment down uh, online. So that would be my external discipline. It took me a couple of weeks to find a rhythm and sort of figure out how I wanted to go about that. Uh, but by somewhere around mid-January 2015, I found it. And uh, that entailed a lot of very early wake-ups. You know, <laughs> if you're trying to get through six or eight chapters of Ezekiel, you know, that's not something you can do uh, very quickly. And so, around um, about the middle of January, I started making sure that I did that every day. And here we are in 2022. 
Uh, it's been an unbelievable blessing. It has been the bread and water of life to me. I've learned about God. I've learned about myself. Um, it's been a blessing to marriage. It's been a blessing to mission. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable. It's foundational to everything to me. It's amazing, Hugh. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I I hope and pray the same is true for many, many, many of our readers and listeners who've been on the journey this year and who are seeing next year's plan from Genesis to Jesus and thinking, oh, we're going to read numbers. That's a lot of reading. I don't know if I want to do that. But I, I hope that those people would come to know and experience the life and encouragement and refreshment your soul has found as you have dedicated yourself to the study of God's Word. And so I'm grateful for your testimony. Well, thank you, Emma. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. And I remember hearing that years ago, and I said, you can't be talking about Leviticus and Numbers <laughs> and some of these really dry things. Sure. There is as much spectacular revelation of who God is in Leviticus mm-hmm. as, there in, as there is in the Gospel of John. It's absolutely amazing. It probably takes a little bit more work in Leviticus, but the, but the fruit of that effort is unbelievable. Amazing. Well, let's dive in to today's chapter. We've got five minutes. Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, Hugh, I know that you have some uh, life questions that kind of guided your your study or the conclusions you drew from these chapters. Why don't you take the last five minutes to walk us through those? Okay, good. So, um, I didn't come to an articulation of these until not that many years ago. But in essence, my questions were, who is God? Hmm. Is there a God? Is he in charge? Mm-hmm. Or is this, as we used to hear, just a culmination of time plus chance plus matter? Uh, and if there is a God, um, uh, what does that mean for me? Who am I? And why am I here? So who is God? Who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? Who am I? Why am I here? Yes. And not having an answer to those questions that was credible and made sense to me was what drove me to coping mechanisms. <laughs> and sooner or later, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you say, I'm going to try something else. And that's when, that's when the Holy Spirit intervened and uh, brought us to Watermark. And I found, I found the answers to those questions in a way that, for me, as a left-brain analytical person, were completely reliable. And as, as one friend says, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer. Mm-hmm. That's how solid it is. And so I just, you know, I read all the books about it. I watched the movies. It is just unassailable for the truth of the resurrection and the reliability of Scripture. Uh, so that answered that. And then that led me to um, understanding of worldview. Hmm. Um, and a worldview, it's really four questions. How did this all begin? What happened? How does it get resolved? How does it end? And so Genesis answers uh, those first, th- first three questions. Uh, how did this all begin? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, uh, created. God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. There it is. Um, what happened? Genesis 3.15. Uh, How does it get fixed? Jesus the Messiah comes, the wounded victor, as, uh, as some commentators call him. And how does it end? Revelation. God brings his promise uh, of the new heaven and the new earth and the completion of 
bringing all the good and blessings, the 7,487 promises in the Bible, come to their culmination in Revelation, Mm -hmm. uh, where Jesus returns and brings all the blessings that he promises back to the earth. And there is, after mercy, after mercy, after mercy, after mercy, there is final judgment. Mm -hmm. And so those four four worldview questions— how does it begin? What happened? How does it resolve? And how does it end? Hmm. And that's this, how does it end, is where we find ourselves in Revelation 8 and 9. Yes. And we see in these chapters, I, I mean, what do we see here? When we look at these, there's a lot going on. There is, there is a great deal going on. and um, Locusts. <laughs> Locusts that looked like horses. Yeah. So... Let me, let me talk about that for just a minute. In my study of Revelation, what became very evident to me in reading and, and being taught uh, is really, really important that there are truths about God that are best expressed in images and metaphors and similes. Hmm. And so God uses a ton of those. He uses agricultural metaphors uh, in the Bible. He uses the process of purifying gold uh, and pruning of trees to bear fruit. And so in Revelation, he uses a ton of images. And so it's important to understand that that's what's going on. And some of these images don't make a ton of sense to us. But with a little time and reflection at a good study Bible, you can have a better understanding of them. Uh, The other thing that helped me to understand is, unlike many of the books of the Bible, Revelation is not represented chronologically or is not presented Hmm. chronologically. And so that's... You, you go back and forth in a couple of in a couple of places between the um, the world that we know mm-hmm. and the world of the spirit, the battle in the spiritual realm. Mm. Uh, and so it's it's sort of it's sort of like trying to watch something in 3D. It can be challenging, but if you understand a, a couple of these elements to it, uh, it makes sense. Like I've got to put on those red and blue glasses to yes. watch it in 3D. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what application? do you draw from these chapters specifically? As we wrap up, how does Hugh Stevenson live differently because of what he reads in Revelation 8 and 9? Probably the most important thing is that uh, God's word is true and his promises are reliable Hmm. and he is who he says he is. That gives me great comfort uh, to know that this is not all randomness and though the natural state of this world is chaos, he will bring order to it on his timeline, not mine. He will bring order on his timeline, not mine. Right. Uh, and probably and probably the second thing is uh, throughout the Bible, but particularly here in Revelation, is the truth of his mercy. Over and over and over again, he gives us another chance, another chance, and another chance. And in the sealed trumpet and bold judgment, what we see is pauses to allow for time for people to uh, see judgment and to come to the Lord. Uh, and then, you know, we, we see it throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then when the judgments do come, he doesn't wipe everybody out at once. He doesn't bring judgment uh, completely and fully at once. There's, there's a remnant each time. And so we have chance after chance after chance. The piece of this that's, that's really, really important is— is the link to Noah, and that at the end, 
after all those years building the ark and all those years in certainly conversation, there was a point at which all the animals were in, Noah, his wife, the three sons, and the three wives were in, and the scripture says, and the Lord shut up the door. Hmm. That has to be one of the most jarring, impactful verses in all the Bible. That is final judgment. And so this is final judgment again, not by water, but by fire. And so there will be judgment. And when I want to know why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people, this is a world that is under chaos and in its our nature of sin, but God will bring justice and judgment. And so I don't have to lie awake at night and wonder about it, and I don't have to be God's instrument of judgment myself. Amazing, Hugh. What a great reminder. We're out of time. But thank you so much for sharing. We'll have you back on when we get to the book of Numbers. How about that? Numbers 35 and 36, guys. It's really, really awesome. I can't Jehovah wait. Jireh, God provides. Here we go. As always, thanks for joining. And I am so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe, because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.